traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Richard! Richard! Oh, are we on? Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. We're always on, baby. We're always on. Welcome to Radio Free Canada News Notes and Opinions for Wednesday, March 9th in the year of our Lord, 2022. Are you seeing these reports? of Russian Orthodox churches in British Columbia being set on fire in Canada. This is abhorrent. Where is the outrage from the federal government or the media? If these were mosques being torched or Jewish temples being torched or Hindu temples being torched, the media would be all over this and rightly so. Where is the condemnation? This is why there is a congressman in Ohio who is proposing legislation to have Canada placed on a religious freedom watch list. Unbelievable. Communist China quite possibly unleashed the COVID pandemic on the world intentionally or accidentally. They certainly hid information and data in the early days. They certainly delighted in the massive economic impact on the West. Did we cancel Chinese Canadians? Did we tolerate any kind of vandalizing of Chinese businesses? Were there calls to cancel or fire, I don't know, Chinese musicians with the Toronto Symphony? Of course not. That would be abhorrent. But this is happening with Russian Canadians, Russian Americans. What's next? Internment camps? Have we lost our collective minds? This has to stop. What, are they going to start burning Russian books? Do you know there are American universities that are canceling Russian literature courses? Are classical radio stations going to ban Tchaikovsky? Unbelievable. Uh, I've been talking about the Prime Minister's photo op vanity tour of Great Britain and Europe, where he's being universally denounced by the media over there as a fraud and a vacuous poser. Because those journalists over there aren't bought and paid for. 
He has no business being over there. He is once again demonstrating his total lack of self-awareness, delivering this speech on democracy. The respect for the infinite dignity of each individual means no one should get left out. And this is also true for people who hold different political views. We all need to commit to more listening and less shouting. Diversity of ideas helps us learn from one another. Talking with people who think differently from us is how we challenge ourselves. And challenging ourselves is how we grow. So by strengthening our open, inclusive societies, everyone benefits. Democracy benefits. Listen if you can. <laughs> I know, it's difficult to listen to this drivel. Listen to this failed drama teacher deliver these lines, which he obviously did not write. This is the creep who calls anyone who disagrees with him a racist, a white supremacist, a misogynist. This is the creep who asked whether we as a society should tolerate the vaccine free. This is the creep who accused a conservative MP who happens to be a Jew and the granddaughter of Holocaust survivors. He accused her of standing with those who wave swastikas. This is the creep who invoked an emergency act and empowered police to beat peaceful protesters in Ottawa. He doesn't care about truth. He doesn't care if he comes across as a hypocrite because he has no self-awareness. He likes to deliver speeches and pose for pictures and so with soldiers in Latvia. He likes to play pretend, like all children. And while he's off to Europe playing pretend with his 300 bought and paid for sycophants from the lamestream media, this country is in ruins. People are suffering because of his gross incompetence. We have children running this country. Or as I said the other day, everyone I hated in high school are in charge. This government should be laying pipe from coast to coast like our future as a country depends on it, because it does. Instead, we have a narcissistic adolescent in charge who believes we can heat our homes and power our industries with windmills, windmills, solar panels, and fairy dust. We have no military. It takes two decades to order new pistols for our soldiers, and when they get them, they don't work. You don't think the Russians are eyeing the Canadian Arctic right now, salivating? It's an open invitation. Well, that's fine, because the communist Chinese are buying all of our mines up there. Our government is fine with training communist Chinese soldiers in this country. Why shouldn't the Russians just walk right in? Is this a real country or isn't it? Where are the adults? Where? So, a few weeks ago, if some, someone on social media brought up the issue of biolabs in Ukraine, perhaps U.S.-controlled biolabs in Ukraine, as a possible motive for Putin invading that country, they were dismissed as kooks, conspiracy theorists. Well, looky, looky here. Here's the U.S. State Department Undersecretary for Political Affairs, Victoria Nuland. She appeared yesterday at a Senate Foreign Relations Committee hearing. Well, um, I only have a minute left. Let me ask you, um, 
Does Ukraine have chemical or biological weapons? Uh, Ukraine has uh, biological research facilities, which, in fact, we are now quite concerned Russian troops, Russian forces may be seeking to uh, gain control of. So we are working with the Ukrainians on how they can prevent any of those research materials from falling into the hands of uh, Russian forces should they approach. I'm sure you're aware that the Russian propaganda groups are already putting out there all kinds of information about how they've uncovered a plot by the Ukrainians to release biological weapons in the country and with NATO's coordination. If there's a biological or chemical weapon incident or, uh, or attack inside of Ukraine, is there any doubt in your mind that 100 percent it would be the Russians that would be behind it? There is no doubt in my mind, Senator, and it is classic Russian uh, technique to blame on the other guy what they're planning to do themselves. All right. I, I don't know what what is in those bio labs. I don't know if there's anthrax. I don't know how they're being used. I don't know any of that. But now we, at least we have an admission that there are U.S. controlled bio labs there. And Newland, Victoria Newland, you may recall, is the former assistant secretary of state for European affairs under Obama, who it has been widely suggested was the mastermind behind the Feb 22nd, 2014 regime change in Ukraine, taking part in plotting the overthrow of the democratically elected government of President Viktor Yanukovych, while at the same time convincing the ever-gullible U.S. mainstream media that the coup wasn't really a coup, but a victory for democracy. Assistant Secretary of State for European Affairs, Victoria Nuland, who pushed for the Ukraine coup, and then bragged on a telephone call that was bugged that she helped pick the, co- the post-co-leaders. And then to sell this latest regime change to the American people, the ugliness of the coup makers had to be systematically airbrushed, particularly the key role of neo-Nazis and other ultra-nationalists from the right sector. So for the U.S. organized propaganda campaign to work, the coup makers had to wear white hats, not brown shirts. For nearly a year and a half, the West's mainstream media, especially the New York Times and the Washington Post, twisted their reporting into all kinds of contortions to avoid telling their readers that the new regime in Kiev was permeated by and dependent on neo-Nazi fighters and Ukrainian ultranationalists who wanted a blood-pure or a pure-blood Ukraine without ethnic Russians. Any mention of that Reality was deemed Russian propaganda. Anyone who spoke this inconvenient truth was a stooge of Moscow. This Newland is a a very shady character. And why, I wonder, is Marco Rubio playing along? Well, he's a rhino. The Dems and the rhinos are the war party. They're the same, one and the same. Biden canceled Russian oil. Big deal. Actually, corporate America canceled Russian imports, so Biden had to go along. Of course, he couldn't open up public, or of course, uh, he could open up public lands for drilling. He could restart the Keystone XL pipeline, which he shut down on day one of his administration. He blocked drilling in Anwar, that's the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. He did all that in his first days in office. Yet here he is spinning this lie. Have a listen. 
Look, let me be clear. It's simply not true that my administration or policies are holding back domestic energy production. That's simply not true. Look, let me be clear. It's simply not true that my administration or policies are holding back domestic energy production. That's simply not true. All right. I played it a couple times for emphasis. Dan McTagg, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, will will be here towards the tail end of the program to talk about that. Plus, Biden's deputy national security advisor says even if the U.S. drilled as much as they could, the price of oil wouldn't drop. What a load of horse hockey. Uh, Ryan O'Connor, Toronto area lawyer, Toronto Sun columnist, will be here to talk about the lifting of mask mandates in Ontario beginning March 21st, and yet Premier Ford has extended the reopening act. Yet again, what's up with that? Wednesdays, we push back against the cult of climate change. Tony Heller, the founder of RealClimateScience.com, will be here. Uh, But up first, Dakota Christensen from Rebel News will be here to discuss how the Canadian Bankers Association are saying that freedom supporters, freedom convoy supporters who had bank accounts frozen, those accounts will be flagged for life. That's disgusting. The Richard Serrett Show, off and running for Wednesday, March 9th. Facta non verba. We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. The uh, Canadian Bankers Association. What a cabal. What an odious, sinister bunch they are. Undermining our confidence in the banking system in this country. They, uh, I don't know who they were, the individuals, I guess their, uh, their legal counsel appeared at a uh, Commons Finance Committee where this obsequious bunch agreed that the bank accounts that were frozen by cabinet under the Emergencies Act, these were the bank accounts belonging to supporters, donors to the Freedom Convoy cause. The Bankers Association has announced that those accounts will be flagged for life. Think about that. Flagged for life. And it gets worse. As a Dakota Christensen, Rebel News reporter, is here to tell us. Dakota, welcome back. How are you? Uh, thanks, Richard. Great to be here. Doing well. So not only are they going to flag these accounts for life, I'm, I'm not sure what that means exactly, um, uh, but they're going to, they, they even admitted that they went further. Tell us about uh, the RCMP blacklist and how the Bankers Association went above and beyond that. Yeah, so essentially, and this is all has been reported just from public record here, like you're saying, it's a the finance committee in the, the House of Commons that's doing the investigation after the invocation of the Emergencies Act here, which gave the extraordinary powers to be freezing bank accounts unilaterally without a court order. Uh, so this was just from the General Counsel of the Canadian Bankers Association saying to the investigating MPs here on the Finance Committee that these bank accounts that were being frozen, they will have permanently on their file, there will be a note in there to some degree, essentially marking them as having had their bank accounts frozen here. This isn't something that'll be going away. And also uh, what the general counsel for the Canadian Bankers Association said was that there will be immunity provided to any banks that are freezing accounts where they cannot be held liable 
if there are any damages from frozen accounts, say someone wasn't able to pay for necessities of life and they had harm caused to them because of a frozen bank account, the banks themselves who are doing the freezing, whether ordered to or not, cannot be held liable for any sort of damages. Even if they froze a bank account they weren't ordered to freeze, even if this was a bank account not even related to the protests in any way, if they illegitimately froze a bank account, this is exactly what they said, if they illegitimately froze a bank account, they would face zero legal consequences. It, so, it, or if they if they froze somebody's account by mistake, mm-hmm. exactly, and and damages ensued, someone missed mortgage payments, they're out on the street because of a foreclosure. The bank will not be held liable. Who has the power to to to, to do that? How can they How can they give the the banking association immunity from prosecution? That that's that's just odious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's just more of the, the lingering consequences that we see from the invocation of the Emergencies Act, where even well after the act has been revoked and all related emergency orders have been suspended, this is, this is still here and all under that wide umbrella of very wide-ranging powers that are given to the government and anyone acting in line with the government. Uh, as we see here, part of that is immunity for any actions that are committed under the act here. It's pretty incredible when you start to dissect what they have. It's it's absolutely chilling is what it is. Dakota Christensen is uh, with us from Rebel News. Uh, and meanwhile, our uh, vacuous poser of a prime minister is uh, on a photo op in Europe, uh, wagging his finger at Putin for being such an authoritarian. It, you know, just absolutely zero self-awareness. And meanwhile, this is happening in this country. Uh, but the, so there is, there is this RCMP blacklist Mm-hmm. Uh, there were 257 names and 257 bank accounts attached to those names that the the banks were to freeze. Um, but didn't the banking association go above and beyond that and decide on their own, even if they weren't told by the RCMP, they were going to freeze other accounts just using their own judgment? Yeah, they were essentially given free reign on this, where they were told if they suspected that a bank was being used to help support the protests anyway, or you know, essentially if they if they felt it was necessary, they were allowed to under this emergency order. Uh, and so, you know, we had people because what what the order actually said, the emergency order said, was that anyone who donated to the crowdfund after I believe it was February 15th when the protest was declared illegal by the government, anyone who donated after that point would have their bank account frozen or be at risk of having their bank account frozen. But we're seeing at the very least one report I've seen, which was from Mark Strahl, who's the MP for Chilliwack Hope. Uh, He reported one of his constituents had her bank account frozen after giving $50 to the fund, even though she she donated before that date. So she wouldn't even fall under that emergency order. And yet her account was suspended, and presumptively she would have her account flagged for life here. She would have this note on her file, and she might never see you know an end to the consequence of this. This is unconscionable. This is the stuff that happens in banana republics, we used to call them. Mm-hmm. Not in a sophisticated, mature, Western liberal democracy. Uh, Christensen, if you could, or sorry, Dakota, rather, if you could... Uh, Stay with us. We'll uh, come back and discuss further. Dakota Christensen with Rebel News stays with us. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serra Show. 
Welcome back. Dakota Christensen from Rebel News is with us. And uh, we're talking about this chilling story. The Canadian Bankers Association, or their legal counsel, appeared at a finance committee, House of Commons finance committee uh, hearing, and um, uh, announced that the bank accounts attached to Freedom Convoy's supporters and donors would be flagged for life. And um, they would also be immune from any liability if the freezing of those accounts led to some harm to those account holders. Let's say the uh, the account was frozen. Someone uh, misses a couple of mortgage payments. All of a sudden, there's a foreclosure. They're out on the street. Not our problem, says our fine banking institutions. We have to do better. This is sick. So here's the other interesting thing, uh, Dakota, is that uh, Canada's chief financial intelligence um, agency, they totally shut down any of the claims by the, the Trudeau government that donations given to the Truckers Freedom Convoy constituted any kind of terrorist funding. Um, the, uh, they basically, the deputy director said, these were people who were fed up with the mandates. They're not terrorists. That doesn't seem to matter to the banking association. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. What are your thoughts? Well, well exactly right. I mean, and on that note, we heard so many theories about how this was foreign funded. There were all these American donors. There was on the CBC, they're theorizing about it being a, a Russian foreign uh, operation to try and influence this to overthrow a legitimate government and all sorts of pretty insane theories coming out when the analysis, like you said, from FinTrack the uh, essentially the terrorist uh, financing arm of government that's in charge of, of managing all of this incredible powers from the government to tackle such things as terrorist financing came out and said, no, these were primarily Canadian donors, much in small donations, simply grassroots people who believed in the cause. And we're seeing these incredible repercussions coming from it. And on that note of it being, you know, oh, what's the big deal? A note is in your file for the rest of your life. Well, that would mean that anyone who wants to discriminate against you because of your political affiliations would be able to do so. For example, for us at Rebel News, we were denied a mortgage from RBC for a, an office building we were trying to buy in Calgary, not because of any financial reason. We were told that our finances were immaculate, but simply because of our political inclinations, they didn't want to be doing business with us. And so right. any of I was going to bring that up because, uh, sorry, Dakota, mm -hmm. I was going to bring that up. Thank you for doing so because Ezra Levant, uh, your uh, commander, uh, was on this uh, program talking about that. This was this was before the uh, the, the Freedom Convoy um, 
and the protests in Ottawa. And um, he was at a loss as to explain, you know, why they would do that. He suspected they were political motivations. But that was really kind of, I think, an early warning sign. Um, and not just for Rebel News. That's what's in store, perhaps, for all of us. This is the, this is the communist Chinese social credit system coming to Canada. It's here, and the Canadian Bankers Association are all on board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly that. That's that's what I fear is that soon enough, if you know you don't toe the line politically, if you're a little too outspoken, if you're a little too much of a dissident, or say and do things that whoever the powers that be are uh, don't like, then you may very well be cut off from all sorts of services. First among them, the most crucial among them are financial services through the banking system. And this is really being exposed just how much power there is there and just how extraordinarily dangerous this really is. So as you mentioned, you know, what's the big deal with having your account flagged? Uh, If we take the rebel uh, news example, where Ezra was denied a mortgage for, to, for a, on a commercial building in Calgary because of the politics and the views. You don't have the right opinions. Um, that could happen to anybody who's been flagged, denied a, a personal loan, uh, a business loan. Uh, so this is, this is a perfect example of how a regime, again, in a, in a banana republic or the former Soviet bloc, um, would would persecute political opponents. That's where we're at right now, yeah, basically, it, right? Exactly. And, and as you as you mentioned previously, it's incredibly ironic that now Justin Trudeau is going about uh, talking about Vladimir Putin and condemning him for being undemocratic and how the democratic values we hold in Canada are slipping, and we need to fight tyranny over in Russia when he himself needs to look in the mirror and see that he's doing the exact same thing back home here, where I think he's more than more than well aware of that. But the gaslighting is just unreal whenever Trudeau opens his mouth and you know starts condemning others for what exactly he himself is doing. Uh, there was some speculation that um, the Emergency Act was not extended, uh, and the and the Trudeau government backed down because there was a run on the banks. Uh, that depositors were going to their banks and, uh, you know, they only have a certain amount of uh, deposits on hand. It's That's part of the fractional reserve banking system. So if enough people went to the local branch and wanted to take out their savings and, I don't know, keep it under their mattress, that would be embarrassing for the branch because they wouldn't have all the cash on hand. So it, 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 it is speculated that that may have been in part the reason that Trudeau back down. Maybe he got a, a call from the Canadian Bankers Association. But one, one could hardly blame Canadians right now. If um, they were to go to their branch, I am not officially advocating for a run on the banks, but you couldn't blame Canadians for wanting to take their money out of the branch because of, well, they the, the Bankers Association have completely, to my mind, destroyed confidence in our once proud banking system. What do you think? Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right there in terms of this is just absolutely undermining all trust in our financial institutions, where people now, they no longer know whether or not they're going to have access to their money the next day from their bank, simply because of their political beliefs or their opinions they may have may or may not have even shared even because they made a donation in private. And that has now come to light because of this exposure from the uh, the Give, Send, Go platform being hacked 
impact and data being released and journalists running away with that and sharing people's information online and now having their bank accounts being flagged. It's, it's absolutely you know, a tragedy to see this happening. Uh, and, and it's incredible just that this is happening. The, the banks are doing this and people need to be worried about that. That's well, I, very I concerning. Hope pe- I hope people listening to this program Go to your local branch. I'm not, I'm not suggesting you take out. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not telling you to take out your deposits and put it in a sock or buy Bitcoin. But at least make politely and civilly, make your views known about what is happening with our banks. Let them know you're not happy about this. Politely and civilly. Absolutely. Uh, it's a frightening moment in our history. I cannot believe we've arrived at this point. But here we are. Dakota, Thank you so much for all you do and everyone at Rebel News. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on, Richard. Dakota Christensen and uh, rebelnews.com. Please support our independent media. They are all we have, rebelnews.com. All right, we'll push back against the cult of climate change. Coming up in three minutes. Don't go away. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. Hey, welcome back. Uh, once again, I have to apologize for my voice. It sounds like I swallowed sandpaper. I'm not sure <laughs> why it does this. I'm not, I'm not ill. I feel wonderful. Thank you uh, for asking. <laughs> but uh, just uh, sounding a lot like uh, Tom Waits. Or maybe uh, I've smoked six pack of, packs of cigarettes today. I don't know what's happening. All right. Um, so there was a, um, a commentator in the Boston Globe. No doubt a, uh, a member of the climate change cult writing that President Vladimir Putin of Russia, through his invasion of Ukraine, has taken action that will maximize the world's transition to clean, renewable energy. Indeed, the writer writes, he may be single-handedly saving us from global warming. Can you imagine? The cult of climate change are in league with this dictator, this tyrant, this killer, Vladimir Putin, who's dropping cluster bombs on hospital by hospitals by some in some reports. Who knows? Who knows what to believe? But this nut job is thanking Vladimir Putin basically for saving mankind from global warming by invading Ukraine. That's the uh, first subject up for discussion with uh, Tony Heller, who joins us every Wednesday at this time, the founder of realclimatescience.com. Tony, your thoughts? Well, the first thing is that this has nothing to do with, you know, energy, using oil has nothing to do with global warming, if there's even such a thing as global warming. Um, So the It's completely false. The whole supposition behind this doesn't make any sense. You know, if we burn oil or we don't burn oil, it doesn't really have any significant effect on the weather. But the the fundamental mistake besides that, which the author is making, is is this belief that we can use, that we, we can depend on wind and solar power, which everyone serious who understands the concepts of science know that we can't. 
The reason is because they're not reliable. You know, that there are days when you can generate a lot of wind power, but there's other days when you can't generate any. If the wind's not blowing, you cannot make electricity from it. It doesn't matter if you have 10 turbines or a million turbines. If the wind's not blowing, you're not getting any energy from it. And our civilization can't run off that. You know, we, we need reliable sources of energy. And, you know, things like coal, coal power, natural gas power, nuclear, those are reliable. You, you can produce a reliable amount of energy day after day from these sources and, you know, know exactly that you're going to be able to keep your civilization functional. The people who've attempted to move over, you know, heavily into wind and solar are having terrible problems. And as a result of this, like Europe's done this, they've had to lurch back towards buying lots of gas from Russia. And, and they're making Russia extremely rich off of this. Um, a couple of months ago, Europe was paying Russia $200 million a day for gas. Now, because of the increase in price, which is largely caused by administration policies in the United States, now, now Russia is getting $600 million a day from from Europe. So so what Biden's doing is actually making Putin and Russia extremely wealthy. You know, he says he's punishing them, but he's doing the exact exact opposite. Right. I mean, I, I, I made Europe, the argument. Give, sorry, I was, I was going to say yeah. I made the argument a few days ago that these cultists of climate change are actually in league with Putin. Not, you know, maybe not knowingly, uh, unknowingly, though, because because they um, they have forced um, they have forced America, Canada, Western Europe to be so dependent on Russian uh, energy. And that, where does that money go? That, that blood oil, where does that go, that money? It goes into cluster bombs that are being dropped on Ukrainians as we speak. So maybe it's unknowingly, but they are complicit, I think. These, uh, these wacko you know, environmentalists that think that we can survive, we can heat our homes with fairy dust. Yeah, we can. They, we <coughs> they they've had this fantasy forever. You know, in 2008, Obama that his plans of cap and trade system will necessarily make electricity prices skyrocket. So they've had this belief for decades that the key to getting people to move over to wind and solar is to just get the price of energy high enough. So this is exactly what they want. They've wanted to make energy prices very high, and the actions that Biden's taken over the past, um, you know, since since the election in 2020, have caused crude oil prices to go up by a factor of four. So that they've taken very specific actions designed to reduce the amount of the supply of oil coming from the United States, which has driven up the the price of oil, made it very expensive, and they're not making any progress with their wind and solar. Um, wind and solar only produce 3% of the world's energy needs, which is just up a little bit from 10 years ago. I think 10 years ago is 2%. So, and there's no way they're ever going to be able to replace things like coal, oil, and natural gas and nuclear just because it's not reliable. But they maintain this fantasy that you've got all these arguments built up around this fantasy that we can go 100% renewable, which we can't. It'll never happen. Right, so right. You, don't and, get, you can't, you can't use, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say gas prices were, were on their way up, you know, long before 
uh, Putin decided to invade Ukraine. Tony, we'll take a quick time out. We'll come back. We'll, we'll talk some more about this. And also, we'll talk about the environmental costs of electric vehicles. Back with uh, more in a moment. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. And we are back as we push back against the cults of climate change. These are dangerous people. They are, they are trying to force on Western civilization a giant suicide pill. They want to, to take us back to the, uh, the medieval or the dark ages. They want to destroy our economy. Tony Heller is with us. He's the founder of realclimatescience.com, realclimatescience.com, and you can see his videos on uh, YouTube, BitChute, uh, Rumble, um, occasionally on YouTube until they take them down. Uh, Tony, I wanted to to switch gears here and talk about uh, electric vehicles because now we're told, you know, well, if you don't want to pay $15 a gallon for gas, what's wrong with you? Just buy an electric vehicle. You know, sit down and be quiet. Well, if you've got $45,000 for the... uh, I guess the the base model of the uh, the Tesla. Uh, I know there are cheaper uh, electric vehicles out there, but the point is, um, I mean, is the carbon footprint, so called, of an electric vehicle any less than uh, a you know a standard internal combustion engine? Don't you you know to to churn these things out? If we're all gonna if we're all gonna buy electric vehicles, if the demand is going to be so huge, aren't you still using? Um, you know, diesel and coal and to, 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 uh, to, to power these plants to, to make electric vehicles. Yeah, well, the electric vehicles have all kinds of problems. Um, you know, they, they work really well for, as toys for, for, very, for rich people. As long, as long as a small number of people are using them, it's, they're manageable. Like you have these Tesla charging stations, you know, at various places around the country, and people can come in and plug into them and come back in a couple hours, take a long lunch, come back and recharge, and then drive another couple hundred miles. And that works as long as there's not very many people using them. But they're talking about like having California forcing everybody in California into electric vehicles. Then it becomes impossible. You can't possibly build enough charging stations um, to to manage this. And you know, right now, if you if you bring a car into the gas station, it takes five minutes to fill up, you're gone. But then, when you make it like an hour or two hour recharge time, then you get these. You're going to have lines at the at the recharging stations, which are days long. It'll become an unmanageable situation, and people won't be able to move. And and there's another you know environmental aspect of that too. Like right now, you know, we have like in beautiful places out in the western United States, like in Utah, you have gas stations. And the way that the energy gets there is they come in tankers, right? They have a gas tanker, which comes, fills up the gas tank and drives off. But as soon as you switch over to an electric model, you can't do that anymore. Now you have to have power lines going to the gas station, right? Which means constructing hideous power lines along all the scenic byways in, in the country, which is insane. It would be an environmental disaster. And then, and then getting back to what you were originally saying, you know, that a lot of these electric batteries use rare earth minerals like um, cobalt and lithium, and, and they, these are largely mined by child slaves in Africa, right? And Trevor Noah did a very funny thing about this, um, and true, last week he said, 
So the reason those white liberals are upset about the bombing in Ukraine is because it's white people who are getting bombed. He says, they don't have any problem with the United States bombing people with darker skin in the Middle East, which we've been doing forever. You know, we've killed far more people, you know, with that um, than anybody else. And, and the reason is because what troubles them is that it's white people who are dying in the Ukraine. And, and so they don't, those liberals don't care about the child slaves who are mining their the cobalt for their batteries in Nigeria. That's not an issue for them. So, yeah, there's tremendous social costs and environmental costs, you know, the, the, for, for creating these batteries. It requires a huge amount of energy. Um, there's not enough rare earth to provide um, batteries for all of the cars. And, and, then when you, and then when these batteries go bad, there's no way to dispose of them. You've got a huge hazardous waste problem after that. Too. So the, the, the environmental issues with going green are, you know, particularly green transportation, are, are absolutely off scale and they're unmanageable. And of course, these, these people aren't willing to do it because they, they've been made so afraid about this imaginary global warming stuff that anything, just anything desperate they can do to try to avert their imaginary catastrophe is okay. And they're, they're basically doing the Jonestown thing. They're, they're drinking Kool-Aid, which is going to kill them um, because they've been conditioned to believe that's the right thing to do. I just wanted to talk a little bit more about the uh, the lithium ion batteries. Uh, this is an interesting yeah. uh, thing that I found in that article. It's a, it's a very lengthy article. Uh, people can can read it at it's called stopthesethings.com. That's the website stopthesethings.com and you'll uh, you can read about the environmental costs of electric vehicles. Um, so it says the toxic components that come from mining lithium so, for instance, to manufacture each auto battery, you must process 25,000 pounds of brine for the lithium, 30,000 pounds of ore for the cobalt, 5,000 pounds of ore for the nickel, 25,000 pounds of ore for copper. All told, you would dig up 500,000 pounds of the Earth's crust for just one battery. That's that's unimaginable. I can't, I mean, I, I, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, it's, it, it, the environmental costs are, are huge. And Russia is one of the largest suppliers of lithium, too. So, you know, if you're, if you're switching over to lithium batteries, then you're helping Russia out once again, just like they're doing with higher gas prices. Uh, it, all, it all comes back to Putin. You know, that's right. He, uh, yeah. There you go. They're, again, they're playing into... Uh, Putin's hands. Um, what uh, what video are you working on these days, Tony? Um, I did I did one this morning, um, which which I thought was one of my better ones. Um, I forgot the name of it. I'm just looking at it right now. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. 
call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. What's it about? It's called, oh, it's called Get Caught, Blame Putin. And it's going back to long history of how every time Democrats get in trouble, they blame Putin, like they're blaming Putin for high gas prices right now. Um, when, Hillary's, when Hillary got in trouble with her emails, she did it the same thing, right? She blamed all of her emails, which exposed her criminality. She blamed them on Putin, right? And um, this has been going on for a very long time. So I, I think that was a pretty interesting watch for people. Um, and I'm, I'm about to do one, um, I think, along the lines of the stuff which we're talking about right now. I've got another one lined up for um, talking about how the temperature record was corrupt, how tree rings didn't match the temperature record. So instead of doing the right thing and using the tree rings, they started they switched over in 1998 to the corrupted temperature record. I've got all kinds of different projects going on. and have got more, a lot more things I want to do videos about than I have time for. <laughs> uh, and again, uh, the articles can be found at realclimatescience.com, realclimatescience.com, and you, uh, you upload your videos to BitChute, Rumble, NewTube, occasionally YouTube. Uh, Tony, always appreciate your insights. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of the week. And we'll talk next Wednesday. Yeah, thanks. All right, Tony Heller. All right, plenty of shows still to come. Hour two awaits. Dan McTagg, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, will be here. And um, we'll talk about Biden's deputy national security advisor, Dalip Singh, who says even if we drilled as much as we could, the price of oil is still set globally by the demand and supply conditions. Is that true? And uh, we'll also get um, Dan's take on this idea that these climate change cultists really are complicit in uh, in Putin's war in Ukraine. Ryan O'Connor, Toronto's, uh, Toronto's Sun columnist and uh, Toronto area lawyer, will be here to talk about the lifting of the mask mandates in Ontario for March 21st. But strangely, Ford has extended his reopening act. So uh, why is that? Why is that? Indeed. Adam Borofsky will also be here. He's a Polish writer and translator living in Warsaw. And uh, actually, he'll be up next straight after the news. More of the program to come. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. Coming up later this hour, our good friend Dan McTagg, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, will be here. And uh, we'll talk about, among other things, President Biden saying that he's doing nothing, nothing to hold back energy production in his country. (laughs) I mean, what a bold-faced lie. But that's what the left does, right? I mean, they lie 
so well. And if they caught you stealing, let's say, a $20 bill, of course, they would call you out on it, as well they should. But if you didn't do it, if they did it, this is how bold they are. If they stole the $20 off the coffee table and you saw them and you had photographic evidence, they would still point to you and say, no, you stole the $20. That's how boldly the left lies. So Biden saying that he is doing nothing to hold back energy production in the United States in order to relieve the, uh, the price of gas. His first day in office, what did he do? He canceled the Keystone XL pipeline. What else did he do? He stopped drilling on public lands. He canceled the, uh, the Anwar drilling project. That's the uh, Alaskan Wildlife Reserve. There's enough natural gas up there to, to fuel North America for 100 years. And yet, he says with a straight face, I'm doing nothing to hold back energy production. And then his deputy national security advisor, Dalip Singh, says even if we did drill as much as we could, the price of oil is still set globally the de- of, uh, by the demand and supply conditions. I don't think that's true. We'll get uh, Dan McTagg uh, in on that as well. And then Ryan O'Connor, Toronto area lawyer, Toronto Sun columnist, will talk about uh, the lifting of mask mandates and um, some of the incredibly twisted logic of some of our public health officials still out there saying, it's too soon, it's too soon. Don't lift the mask mandates. I believe it was the public health um, chief medical officer in Niagara region said something like, we, we have to vaccinate everybody because those people, in order to prevent those people who, for whatever reason, can't get vaccinated from infecting the vaccinated. That was the logic. That's where we're at right now. All right. So Poland has uh, offered to supply Ukraine with all of its Soviet-era MiG fighter jets, the MiG-29 fighter jets. Of course, they've been updated. They're not like falling apart or anything. These are highly sophisticated aircraft. So Ukraine wants to give, or Poland wants to give all of them to the Ukraine so that they can battle the Russians. The only problem is I mean, they want to use the United States, I guess, as the conduit. There's some fear, though, that uh, that could that could uh, set off Putin and uh, you know declare World War III. That this would be a violation. That this would be seen as an attack by NATO against Russia. So they're sending over their brilliant mind, their the most you know their best their finest diplomat, to handle the situation. Vice President Kamala Harris, oh boy. She could start World War III. Adam Borofsky, 
joins us from time to time. He's a, a Polish writer and translator living in Warsaw, and uh, we always appreciate his perspective living right next door to Ukraine. Adam, welcome back. How are you? Hello, Richard. I'm great. Thanks for having me back. So uh, what do the Polish people, fe- how do they feel about this idea, this proposal to uh, to give up all of their MiG-29s to, uh, to Ukraine? And then I guess have the United States kind of backfill and, and supply Poland with, I guess, American fighter craft? Is that the idea? Is that the proposal? Yeah, the people here are split. Some people say that it's a good idea. Others are saying that it will escalate the situation. It's not a good idea. And it should have been done in secret and not out in the open. And it wasn't consulted with uh, with the U.S., which is the problem here as, as well. So there are many layers here. But basically, uh, most Poles think that this wasn't a very thought out idea because uh, it should have been done in secret rather than in the open. Right. And the other thing I don't understand is uh, I saw, uh, I'm not sure if it was the um, U.S. Secretary of State, uh, mm. Blinken, or whether it was a, a Pentagon official saying that if there was a, a NATO country that wanted to provide uh, jets to Ukraine, that he would absolutely green light that. And now all of a sudden the United States are claiming, oh, wow, they shouldn't have surprised us with this. You know, they're putting us in an awkward position. They, you know, that this could escalate the situation. Seems to me like they're trying to set Poland up as the, the fall guy. Like, you know, they want to frame Poland for right. starting World War Three. Yeah, you need to remember, Richard, that Poland had the slogan in the past in the Second World War, Poland first to fight. It was kind of a very, very bad slogan because uh, the first uh, c- country to fight is actually in the worst position. And that's basically how we're feeling right now, that the same situation is repeating right now so it's very very dangerous indeed the the whole concept we don't want to repeat the situation from the second world war where we had security guarantees you know britain and france but of course nothing happened later on poland was invaded by nazi germany and the soviets and of course the guarantees they gave us they were on paper right and that was it so we want to avoid that situation and we know how fast this can escalate we are talking about ukraine but you need to remember about belarus and about kaliningrad where they could very easily, uh, if they wanted to, they could very easily enter Poland without any problems. It's a flat land, and it's really, really easy to get to Warsaw, let's say where I am, really fast. And you also have rocket systems, Iskander rockets. So if Russia wants to, they can target Poland really, really easily. And I'm not even sure that U.S. troops here could do much about it. So, yeah, it's a really dangerous situation. But at the same time, I'm not sure if this can be stopped, if this war can be stopped. So maybe, you know, Maybe it was decided, okay, let's just do it because it's happening anyway. So let's just do it. Or maybe they wanted to pretend, you know, we'll just test Russia. So we'll say we'll do this, see how Russia reacts. And then we'll just say, you know, that, yeah, it was just um, a stupid idea, right? Maybe that was the plan. I'm not sure what the game is, but it's definitely a dangerous time. But again, uh, it can escalate on its own. We don't need, um, you know, some planes for this. So maybe they just decided to do it anyway. I just wanted to get a, t- your, a quick take from you, Adam. Uh, Adam Borowski is uh, here from uh, Warsaw, Polish writer and translator. And uh, I wanted to get your take on uh, uh, our, our prime minister, who is uh, right. on this vanity photo op tour, uh, posing yeah, yeah. with Latvian soldiers. And I mean, he's just being maligned and ridiculed by the foreign press because they're not bought and paid for like our journalists here are. What is, does Poland have any, the, the, the typical poll, do they have any opinions of our 
our prime minister? Actually, I think he's going to be meeting our president tomorrow in Warsaw, which is interesting in itself. Not really, no, because uh, to an average Polish person, the person that matters uh, is probably the president of the United States, even though we realize that they're often just puppets. But still, I think that Canadians, uh, Canadian government officials are seen mostly as an extension of sorts. I know it may not be very flattering, but that's basically what it is. So Poles really look at the U.S., China and maybe at the EU, but Canada is more like um, more distant, I'd say. So I wouldn't say that Poles really have a strong opinion about Trudeau, right? Sorry for my accent here because I know it's French. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I know that my um, the people I know in Canada, in Vancouver, my family there, well, they're not really fond of Mr. Trudeau. Let's put it this way to be diplomatic. Right. Yeah. Uh, t- just to take a moment and tell us about, I know you're working on a uh, um, a piece of fiction. Tell us a little Correct. bit about it. Yeah, right now I've changed the theme. It's uh, focusing on the white light, you know, that we supposedly see when we die. And there is this concept, it's a trap. So I'm focusing on that. I'm focusing on the demiurge, right, which is this um, supposed uh, divine being that tricks us, tricks us into going to the light. So I'm trying to... Uh, posted from that angle. I changed my theme and I hope it's going to be around 70,000 words because apparently that's the um, ideal number, right? So it's going really well and I hope to uh, finish it soon. All right. You want to give us an email if people want to reach out to you? Yeah, sure. Adam.Borowski, which is like B-O-R-O-W-S-K-I-1985 at gmail.com. That's my email and I welcome any literary agents or anyone who wants to contact me, they can very easily do that. Adam Dodborowski, 1985 at gmail.com. Adam, always great. a pleasure. Thank you for your great work. And Thank your you, Richard. Here. Thank you. Have a great, have a great day. All right. When we come back, Ryan O'Connor, Toronto Sun columnist, lawyer, will talk about the, uh, the lifting of the mask mandates and some of the ridiculous twisted logic of our uh, regional medical officers of health. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right. Well, I guess we're supposed to jump up and down and click our heels that uh, we could take off the face diapers on March the 21st. Uh, March 14th, mandatory vaccination, uh, vaccination policies end. Uh, this is part of the Ontario government's timeline for lifting all remaining COVID-19 restrictions and policies. Here we are two years more than two years into a pandemic. And uh, Ontario, the land that time forgot. So conservative, except in our politics. So overly cautious. Safety first at the expense of everything else, mental health, delayed hospital treatments, screenings, diagnoses, destroyed lives and businesses. Safety first. So the uh, the mandatory vaccination policy for employees and long-term care homes is lifted. Yeah, except except he hasn't banned the practice. How many long-term home uh, long-term care home facilities 
are going to go along with that. A directive requiring unvaccinated workers in hospitals and other high-risk healthcare settings partake in a regular rapid testing program is lifted. Are there any unvaccinated workers in hospitals left? Letters of instruction to the Ministry of Education, the Ministry of Children, Community and Social Services, and the Ministry of Seniors and Accessibility are revoked. This will mean those sectors will no longer be required to have vaccination policies that at a minimum require unvaccinated workers to partake in an educational course on the benefits of vaccination. So really, he's lifting nothing. Here we come to the, uh, the mask requirement being lifted. March 21st. Masking requirements will be removed in most settings except public transit. That's the one place you don't see people wearing them. Long-term care, retirement homes, healthcare settings, congregate care settings, shelters, and jails. I thought a lot of people got into jail for wearing a mask. In a bank. Anyway. Let's uh, let's get uh, Toronto Sun columnist lawyer Ryan O'Connor in here to uh, to discuss this further. Hey, Ryan, how are you? Doing well, Richard. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So, what do you what do you make of the? Uh, I mean, I'm looking. I'm reading this, and uh, I don't really see. Aside from the masks coming off March 21st, uh, a lot of these, you know, the lifting of so-called mandatory vaccinations in in different settings, hospitals. Uh, I mean. They still have the, they still have the option of keeping this in place, right? And unless Ford bans this practice, it's likely that nothing will change vis-a-vis these uh, mandatory vaccination policies. Would you agree or disagree? Well, I think the public sentiment will change for any uh, institution or store or business that's going to maintain uh, mask mandates uh, beyond the 21st uh, when they're lifted. But you're quite right. Um, there's no longer a post-secondary um, uh, mandate. Universities and colleges are no longer required to have vaccine uh, policies, and healthcare settings will soon have their uh, mandates uh, lifted with respect to vaccine policies. But you're you're right. There's there's nothing preventing private institutions, uh, private employers, from uh, continuing their vaccination mandates. And uh, I've still been hearing, both online and in my practice, uh, individuals continuing to be subjected to vaccine mandates in the workplace, irrespective of whether or not they're working from home. Um, there are deadlines forthcoming for some municipalities requiring workers to uh, be um, uh, be vaccinated or put on leave or terminated. Um, and those are coming up over the coming months. And there's been no signal that those are going to be rescinded or those bylaws requiring uh, those vaccination termination mandates to be rescinded. So we will have to wait and see, but this looks like it will continue for the foreseeable future. Right. Yeah. So the, what he's done is very easy, right? It's you take the most visible, the, the most visible piece of this theater, the mask, and you get rid of that, but uh, everything else pretty much stays the same, but the, the, the premier can sort of absolve himself and say, well, we, we lifted it. That's up to them. Um, nothing has changed. Ryan, we uh, we kind of got you on late, so if you could hold on, we'll we'll uh, discuss further when we come back. Ryan O'Connor, Toronto Sun columnist and a Toronto area lawyer, back with more of our conversation right after these. The bull session continues on the Richard Serrett Show, News Talk Saga, nine sixty a.m. We're back with Ryan O'Connor, Toronto Sun columnist, lawyer, partner at a, a GTA law firm, and uh, you can follow him on Twitter at rpo connor at rpo. 
Connor, we're uh, talking about the uh, provincial government's timeline for lifting all remaining COVID-19 restrictions and policies. Um, March 14th, mandatory vaccination policies end. And uh, March 21st, most mask requirements lifted. Um, March 28th, the Reopening Ontario Act expires. Uh, but the remaining orders associated with the act are extended for 30 days. Any idea what that means? Well, there were several uh, emergency orders that were enacted at the beginning of the pandemic and then were continued under the Reopening Ontario Act, uh, Richard. But the most important ones right now are the the regulations uh, concerning reopening. Right now, we're in the um, uh, we're in the regulation that's called the the roadmap. But uh, the regulations are called the roadmap to reopening. We're in step three, and at the roadmap exit steps. So those just contain rules uh, for businesses, uh, organizations uh, that are allowed to be open, which is basically everything now. So it looks like uh, those orders, as well as some other emergency orders uh, concerning uh, a hospital resource and whatnot, may be extended past uh, March 28th for for 30 days. But uh, we'll see what those regulations actually read by the end of this month, so it still remains to be seen. Right. I mean, he could very easily, he, uh, Premier Ford, could very easily just extend the the ROA, you know, uh, indefinitely, right? I mean, he he hasn't shown any... Um, Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. I don't know, com- uh, any compunction to do otherwise. He has no problem with well, that it. Well, that may require... Yeah, that, that may require legislative amendments. Uh, again, it remains to be seen whether or not um, there's a desire to ex- extend the operation of the Act beyond the uh, end of the month, or whether or not they'll just be uh, issuing new regulations to extend. Um, again, it remains uh, to be seen. But what we have seen is a sea change, I think, in, in the approach of uh, uh, of this government to the pandemic. Um, you know, we're even hearing that uh, in today's comments from the Chief Medical Officer of Health that you know um, Ontarians need to start to learn to uh, live with COVID. Um, I take the position that a lot of these mandates were unnecessary. The directives about uh, vaccine mandates and mass mandates, et cetera, are probably a little long in the tooth right now. Happy to see them go. But, uh, you know, I'm just uh, I'm hoping that as we head into an election, we head out of the pandemic, get into that endemic phase, that uh, that none of these restrictions, which for the large part, um, at least in the last recent months, were unnecessary to address the issue of COVID will will come back. Um, And it looks like the public tide has turned in terms of sentiment, and that's helpful as well. Well, not so with the uh, some um, you know regional medical officers of health, and uh, I follow you on on Twitter at RPO Connor. One of the things I delight in is you pointing out some of the absurd logic, the twisted logics that some of these regional public health officers use. You were pointing out, I, I believe it was the medical officer of health in Niagara who was trying to make this case 
that we all need to get vaccinated in order to prevent those who cannot get vaccinated from infecting the vaccinated. I believe that was your yeah, tweet. That's like, yeah, it was my tweet. I tweeted that the other day, and there, there's been a lot of coming out of the uh, of the uh, interim medical officer of health uh, in Niagara. It seems to be one of the more uh, strident um, individuals in terms uh, uh, in terms of supporting restrictions in this province out of all the medical officers of health. His position was we we still need effectively to prevent um, those who cannot be vaccinated and the vaccinated from mixing, and that's why he continued to support. Um, vaccine passports, which, as you know, uh, have uh, have now been uh, rescinded. The point he was making that, uh, you know, if there's more unvaccinated people around, then that means there's more COVID spreading. But as we know, with Omicron and the province's own data demonstrate that vaccination status is not a proxy for the ability to transmit or contract uh, the virus. This seems to be a medical officer of health to be a quite candid. That seems to be uh, relishing holding on to what, uh, you know, that, that diminishing authority that he's going to have. Um, but this is a broader issue too, Richard. Um, it has been during the pandemic about the, the very extensive powers that these medical officers of health have had to uh, issue instructions uh, and orders restricting local economies. We've had Dr. Lowe out in uh, Peel region, uh, where most of your listenership is, uh, closing schools before the province did last April. Dr. DeVilla in Toronto doing the same thing. Um, the Ottawa Medical Officer of Health imposed an outdoor mask mandate around uh, playgrounds last April. Sudbury's Medical Officer of Health imposed an outdoor mask mandate in December. There's no science underlying this except for political science. And uh, now that the reopening Ontario Act is being wound down and the regulations, their ability to issue what are called instructions, uh, setting out some of these uh, mandates and um, and requirements are, are, is going to be rescinded. So that's uh, that's certainly a step in the right direction. But we won't be uh, as far as we uh, should be in that right direction until their powers are even further curtailed and that they're made more accountable for the decisions that they make. 100 percent. Yeah, we, we need legislation to curtail those powers because, uh, you know, we can't go through this again. And there are those, as you say, strident medical officers of health who will uh, who will who will delight when it happens again with their with their their powers. Uh, just last point, and that is, if they're going to uh, lift these vaccine mandates, how can they, in all good conscience, not order hospitals to hire back and other places hire back people who were fired for being uh, for refusing to take the jab? One thing I don't understand with the um, uh, the, the directive from the chief medical officer of health with respect to imposing a vaccine mandate on long-term care facilities and uh, and hospitals. How during the course of a pandemic were these frontline healthcare heroes went into hospitals when no one knew what was going on in care homes back in March of 2020 in April and, uh, you know, put themselves in harm's way to protect the population and do the work that they're uh, paid to do and did so with pride, um, got COVID, and then were told that because they're not getting vaccinated, they're, they're being fired. I, I don't know what's going to happen to those employees, but, um, you know, those nurses, healthcare workers, orderlies, et cetera, those who are on the front lines to be treated the way they were is one, going to be one of the enduring shames of, of the pandemic. And similarly, the university and college mandates have been rescinded, Richard, but there's still students who have been kicked out of school uh, who are COVID recovered, who have medical and religious reasons why they're unable to be vaccinated, and those uh, exemption requests were dishonored by those institutions. So uh, there's going to be a lot of, uh, I think, uh, ongoing uh, introspection about this, but um, a lot of these policies, I think, we'll look back on, on in the next uh, several years and, and really ask why they were necessary, and uh, they've caused a lot of harm with the, not necessarily the benefit associated with them. Absolutely. It's it's shameful, it's unconscionable, and, and you have students whose careers are being sidelined because of this nonsense. And uh, I hope there will be huge uh, civil actions and, and repercussions for administrators 
uh, who who have uh, you know sat sat by and watched this this uh, this happen. Ryan, thank you so much for your time. Good to be with you, Richard. Thank you, Ryan O'Connor. Follow him on Twitter at RPO Connor. All right. When we come back, Dan McTagg, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, will be here. We'll talk about um, well Biden's claim that he's not doing anything to uh, prevent. Uh, America from becoming energy independent. It's not his fault. Uh, that and are the climate change cultists culpable in the uh, destruction of Ukraine? Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Look, let me be clear. It's simply not true that my administration or policies are holding back domestic energy production. That's simply not true. Look, let me be clear. It's simply not true that my administration or policies are holding back domestic energy production. That's simply not true. What a load of horse hockey. How can you say that with a straight face, Grampy? What did you do first day in office? You canceled Keystone XL. That pipeline would have brought energy from Alberta down to the United States. Alberta oil instead of Russian oil. What else did you do? You canceled drilling in public lands. What else did you do? You canceled ANWR. It was the uh, natural, natural gas uh, project in the Alaska Wild, uh, Wildlife Reserve. Enough natural gas there to power North America for a hundred years. You did all of those things within your first days in office. How can you possibly, with a straight face, claim you're doing nothing to uh, prevent America from becoming energy independent, as it was under uh, Donald Trump? But this is what the left does. They lie. They lie. We are uh, awaiting uh, Dan McTagg, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy. I want to get his take on that. Also, uh, statements by Biden's deputy national security advisor, Dalip Singh. Now, this one I do need Dan's expertise on. Singh said that even if we drilled as much as we could, the price of oil is still set globally by the demand and supply conditions. I'm not sure that's entirely true. But uh, Dan can tell us if and when he gets here. And I also want to talk to Dan McTagg about, this is actually something that uh, Dennis Prager wrote a, a column and it appeared on WND. And, uh, and that was, and I agree with this. I have said the same thing, maybe not so eloquently as uh, Dennis Prager, but Prager said that environmentalists are intentionally or not in collusion with Putin to undermine North America and the West. I, I couldn't agree more with that. We'll get uh, Dan McTagg's uh, take on that as well. I think we've got Dan here. Are you there, Dan? I am, Richard. Ah, good to see you. Good to hear you. So um, I don't know if you heard that clip. Uh, Joe Biden, Grampy Joe, basically lying through his teeth saying, I'm, I've done nothing to prevent 
America from, you know, producing energy. And I mentioned, of course, in his first day in office, canceling Keystone XL, <laughs> uh, canceling the Anwar. That's the uh, Alaska Wildlife Reserve. Um, yep. Now, if I remember correctly, there's enough natural gas. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Underneath Anwar to, to, to power North America for something like 100 years. Is yep. that true? Yes, it is true. And if you consider the deposits uh, in the Montney and places like that and across Canada, you would have pretty much the same thing. Look, the world is is uh, is is filled to the brim with natural gas. Uh, it doesn't really matter where you are. Hell, even Britain has some. Uh, the fact is that uh, not renewing leases, uh, working hard with the green energy advocates in Congress uh, who make up part of his cabinet, uh, all of these things, you're dealing with people who really do want to find a way to shut down the oil and gas sector. And unfortunately, they run up against reality. And uh, another little factor, Americans aren't really happy paying $4 uh, a gallon for gasoline, which works out to about a buck forty a litre. Um, you mess with that, you mess with your political future. Uh, Biden knows full well that his Democrats are going to go down to significant defeat come November in the midterms. They will lose uh, control of both the House of Representatives and they will you know, lose any potential uh, opportunity they had in the Senate and it will make him a lame duck president. Uh, and so he's played his game. Uh, he's invited the Russians to offer 800,000 barrels a day. Now he wants to find another excuse. There he is with his advocates going down, having little discussions with another tin pot dictator, uh, Maduro. Uh, trying to get a, uh, some kind of an agreement done on uh, Iran to allow them to avoid any type of sanctions, despite the fact that their sworn enemy is Israel, and that they do want to build nuclear, uh, nuclear uh, potential uh, to create, destabilize further the Middle East and the world. For Biden to have gone down this road while at the same time, you know, canceling the Keystone XL pipeline isn't just an insult to Canadians. It's an example of how men like him and people like him on the green side have destabilized the world and made it a far less secure place than at any time uh, since the boys were walking around with jackboots in the Sudetenland in the 1930s. All right, Dan, we'll uh, take a quick time. I'll come back and uh, discuss further. Dan McTagg, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, affordableenergy.ca, and you can follow Dan on Twitter at GasPriceWizard. Back with more of our conversation in three minutes. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Dan McTech stays with us, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, affordableenergy.ca. Uh, Dan, this one I need your help with, and that is um, uh, Biden's deputy national security advisor, Deline, or Dalip Singh, 
he said that even if we drill, and I guess this would also um, apply to Canada, even if we drilled as much as we could, he said the price of oil is still set globally by the demand and supply conditions. Is that true? He doesn't know what he's talking about. If the United States went back to where it was pre-pandemic, producing 13 million barrels of oil a day versus 11.7, which is where it is now, I guarantee you the price of oil would drop 30 bucks a barrel. I also guarantee you that if Keystone XL had not been canceled, there would be absolutely no concern about America or any other nation having a shortage. That's because there'd be a million plus barrels already rolling through there. It would pretty much obviate anything that Russia could provide in terms of exports, especially during the winter when Russia tends to have, uh, you know, very little in the way of oil exports. As for natural gas, tons of it, and his country is producing a lot of it and actually exporting it. So here's the problem. It's kind of difficult for anyone to understand where this man is coming from, but I can tell you, uh, it's obvious that uh, dealing with facts and principles is not one of them. Uh, I know we've talked about this before, but um, how quickly would it would it take Canada to uh, to build up, you know, pipelines for Canada to be, to be truly become an energy superpower in terms of exporting uh, the world over and you know basically supplying all of our domestic energy needs? How long would that take? Two years maximum. In two, two years, years, we would have the Keystone XL pipeline running already a year, nine months for the Keystone. We would be able to, in two years, finish the Energy East pipeline because, by the way, it runs all the way to uh, to Ottawa. It's uh, it's already two thirds built. The Trans Mountain pipeline expansion is uh, less than a year away. That's the one that's cost you and I billions of dollars because of Trudeau's virtually signaling and uh, uh, BC playing games and all the lefties trying to do everything they can to block it, even though legally and physically you could not do that. So between those three, uh, you know, we would add an additional three million barrels of surplus to the world that desperately needs it. And we wouldn't have to wait and go on bended knee to Venezuela or to Iran or even to Saudi Arabia. This whole thing just makes just makes the president of the United States and all these other virtue signaling leaders like uh, Justin Trudeau look like a bunch of political cuckolds. Uh, if we became energy independent in Canada and uh, we got rid of the carbon tax, what would we expect to pay for a liter of gas? Well, look, the first thing is you would uh, increase the purchasing power of every Canadian. We increased our output of oil to the United States and other parts of the world. So you would save 25 cents a liter. That's because the Canadian dollar would uh, quickly go back to where it was as a petrodollar. Uh, so let's start from now. Uh, on Friday, we'll see gasoline at 175.9. It drops 15 cents a liter. So hold off, folks, until then. So that would drop it to immediately down to about $1.50. You then would have uh, the next... Uh, follow up on that, which would be uh, that carbon tax removal would be 10 cents. So now you're down to $1.40. But it, it's even better than that because the uh, the government of Canada would be you know flush with cash as more and more revenues would come in. It wouldn't need probably to have uh, an HST of 5% uh, or GST of 5%. It probably could do something about the excise tax. And it would actually create a lot of economic activity in the country. So uh, all in all, um, you know, 30, 40 cents a liter. But our woke policies have done this and uh, they've damaged the economy over the past few weeks. And it's likely to get worse. I, I know how you're going to respond to this, but I want to I'm going to throw it out anyway. And that was uh, Dennis Prager. I'm a great a fan of Dennis Prager, wrote a column today that was appeared on WND and said that environmentalists are intentionally or not in collusion with Putin 
to undermine North America and the West. I, I, I'm sure you agree. Well, I think Dennis Prager uh, would also point out that uh, a lot of the funding that went into uh, the banning of fracking and uh, some of the environmental activities seen in Europe was actually directly funded by the Kremlin. I have to wonder whether or not the $1.3 billion that this country tolerates to have agitators come in uh, uh, to block pipelines or to play their lawfare games because we're such a soft target in this country. We're a bunch of nice schmucks. I'm just wondering how much of that might have actually come from Russia. But beyond that, I think Canadians have to recognize that, you know, even if we want to say nasty things about each other and disagree, one thing we can't disagree with, the world wants ethical Canadian energy. And they know we produce it to a standard that no one else can match. And they also know we have the third largest provable reserves in the world. The only people holding us back is a handful of miscreants, well paid by foundations who call themselves charities, for which if I were prime minister, it would be open season on them. I hope the new prime minister, once Trudeau is finally replaced, goes after these charities and uh, determines whether or not they're in fact charities or whether they're basically super political organizations uh, looking after their grifting friends and uh, trying to ensure that you and I subsidize them for their ridiculous activity. The kind of stuff isn't just leading to higher gas prices, but look at your electricity rates. And don't tell me for a second that that doesn't bother you, because having gone up three times, forcing the province to incur a $6.5 billion debt so it doesn't go up four times is just exactly what Trudeau's net zero is all about. And it's a phony fantasy that's going to cost each and every one of us. You've got a sample of it now. Welcome to the world of Trudeau, his NDP and Green Friends. If you think you can afford this, by all means, keep voting for them. If not, smarten the hell up. April 1st, we get we get dinged again. What's happening April 1st with the, the latest carbon tax? Well, since everyone loves carbon taxes and thinks that they get a big fat rebate, uh, by the way, you're not rebated on the GST, HST, you're not rebated on the consequential increase in uh, in inflation and costs at the grocery store. That aside, you get a two and a half cent tick in the pants. So don't worry about it. Uh, You cheerfully walked up in the election, many of you, the majority of you here in Mississauga and where I live here in, uh, in Oakville, and you voted for these guys. So don't let me hear you as an Uber driver or as a bus driver or as someone trying to make ends meet ever complain because you knew full well what you were voting for and you're voting for higher prices. You're voting for the erosion of your standard of living on the false assumption that the world is coming to an end in a ten year, in, in the next 10 years. That's what this is all about. And unfortunately, I can talk about taxes like that, but we know that Trudeau has more in store. On the same day, he's going to give him and his members of parliament a big fat raise He's also planning the clean fuel standard, a second carbon tax, which kicks in at the end of the year. Look, they're not on your side. And if you think they're on their side, then I can uh, I can offer you a real good deal on last year's winter snow. But at the same time, understand they have an interest to look after themselves and their grifting friends. Look where they all go. They work for these little green organizations after they get outed or booted out of parliament. Uh, uh, let's start with Gerald Butts and Catherine McKenna, the whole gang. They're replete with people who can't get a job in the real world unless it involves shaming people into believing that somehow they're destroying the environment and you as suckers wind up having to pay for it. That's what this is all about uh, when it comes down to it, uh, Richard. Dan, uh, always, always appreciate your passion and your insights. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Thanks, Rich. Dan McTagg, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, affordableenergy.ca, affordableenergy.ca. Follow Dan on Twitter at gaspricewizard. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody and my voice. (laughs) My thanks to Jody, Jacob, Brandon, and Declan. I'll be back tomorrow 
to do it all over again. God willing, be well, find joy, hold fast, be kind, but push back. I'll speak with you tomorrow at 4. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.